0: Welcome to Drawing It Up, presented by Ball Things Considered. I am your host, Nick Demento, and today we're going to be taking a look at Houston Rockets GM Daryl Morey and the intuitive style of play Morey and the Rockets have implemented this past season. Now, Morey was hired by the Rockets in 2006, and he's followed the trend popularized in baseball, known as Moneyball, of employing advanced statistical-based analysis in forming your rosters. Now, personally, I've always seen the Rockets and Daryl Morey as gamblers, or actually maybe a better term would be card counters. They look at the game of basketball, dive deep into the numbers, and make bets and moves based on the trends and what they see. Sometimes those bets pay off, such as trading for Chris Paul, which led to a number one seed in the West and a Western Conference Finals appearance. And sometimes these bets bust, like the signing of Dwight Howard. But this year, at the trade deadline, the Rockets made one of their most interesting and controversial bets yet. The Rockets were involved in a four-team trade that sent their shot-blocking, rim-running center to Atlanta, while they received Robert Covington. Now, Covington is currently the tallest player in the Rockets' starting lineup, standing at 6'7" with their center, P.J. Tucker, standing at 6'5". So to give you an idea of how much of a change this is, let's look to the Rockets' current playoff opponent, the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers currently have three players in their starting lineup that are taller than anyone in the entire Rockets' roster. So why did the Rockets decide to make this move? And can this bet Lucking its way into a jackpot? Or are we going to find that the house always wins? So, I want to begin by defining some of the key aspects of Mori Ball, and then I'm going to be joined by Sonny Costello, who's going to help us dive into some of the finer aspects of the Rockets' style of play. Now, first and foremost, the Rockets' play style is all about efficiency. Now, I'm not going to throw a bunch of numbers and mumbo-jumbo at you, and to be honest, I'm the guy that never got to pre-cal, so I probably wouldn't understand what numbers I'm giving to you anyway. But there is a little formula that I like to keep in mind that very much simplifies analytics in basketball. So I want you to take the value of a basketball shot if made. So that's an either a 2 or a 3 multiply that by the likelihood that a player actually makes that shot, and that will equal the efficiency of that shot. Now, the number we're always looking for when we're thinking about efficiency is one. We want every shot to be worth at least one point. So to do that from three, a player needs to shoot at least 33%. To do that from two, a player needs to shoot about 50%. Now, when we look at the average NBA player, superstars, scrubs aside, just the average NBA player. An average NBA player shoots about 38% from three. So that's going to come out to a little bit over one, but only 45% from two, excluding any shots at the rim. So that's a little under one. And a pl- average NBA player actually tends to shoot over 75% when taking shots at the rim, so we're talking about layups, dunks, etc. So when we do all that math, we're left with the idea that the most valuable shots we can take on the floor is either the three or shots at the rim. Now I'm excluding free throws because obviously those are their own thing, but it does go into the factor that the Rockets will always be taking either threes or they will be driving to the basket. because they're either going to get a shot at the rim when they drive, which gets you that 75% shot, or they'll get fouled, which is even more of a valuable shot than the shot at the rim. Now, one important distinction I wanna make is that this is not what the Golden State Warriors have done over the past couple of years. The Warriors were certainly one of the first teams to make the three ball so popular. But when we actually look at their shot selection, when they've won three out of their five championships among the three the rim and the mid-range it actually comes to be evenly distributed around 33.3 percent for each area but when we look at the rockets shot distribution we see that they take about 46 percent of their shots from three 35 percent of their shots at the rim and only 18 percent from the mid-range area And many shots categorized in this area are floaters or shots very close to the rim. So we could probably throw some of that percentage back into the rim category. So what we see is that the Rockets are taking so many threes, it's not even close to the Warriors. In fact, the Warriors might be closer to the 2014 Spurs, a team that has been very much known for hanging on to the idea of the value of the mid-range shot, the Warriors might be closer to that team than they ever will be to the Rockets. Now, another thing that differentiates the Warriors from the Rockets is that... where the Warriors... Playstyle relies heavily on player and ball movement, Mori Ball actually tends to lean on isolation play. So not as much passing, not as much movement. Basically, everyone just clears out and allow your best players, in this case, James Harden or Russell Westbrook, to break down a singular defender to find the best shot in that situation. Houston actually runs ISO plays about 20% of the time. While the next team is the Trailblazers at 10%. And Houston's averaging about 1.04 points per iso possession. So once again, we're getting back to that key number one Now what allows these isolation plays to be so effective is that by the Rockets playing a five-out offense So every player being in position behind the three-point line It allows players space to operate. It allows them to drive to the basket it also allows them to kick the ball back out should they get stopped on a drive because there's no center and there's no huge guy clogging the lane or standing underneath the basket to get in your way. And not only is everyone else who doesn't have the ball in position to shoot the almighty three, they're drawing the defense away from whoever has possession. So when a defender gets beat by a Rockets player on the drive, it makes it much more difficult to a defender come all the way over to help each other out. Now, one final distinction I want to make about these Rockets is that this is not the seven seconds or less Suns. Now, while the Rockets coach Mike D'Antoni was the Suns coach during this period, and that team was also promoting their own revolutionary style of play, these two teams could not be any more different. Because while the Suns were one of the fastest teams in the league, often taking a majority of their shots quick into the shot clock, the Rockets this year were actually last in the league in miles per game traveled and last in speed. So what do we take from that? We take that the Rockets offense isn't about getting a quick shot. It's not just about we'll take any three we can get. It's about getting the right shot. The Rockets will absolutely take shots in transition. But they only do so if they would be taking the same kind of shot they could get by running their regular offense in the half court. So if I'm in transition, why would I attempt a contested layup over a taller defender or when I have to go between two guys at full speed, when I could kick it back out, run our offense, potentially get a three or the same kind of shot? So once again, we're back to this idea of how do we get the most efficient shot? And can we get more efficient shots than our opponent? Because when you play the numbers, if you do that, hopefully you'll win every single time. So when we're looking at Ball, what do we really have? We see a style of play based in finding the most efficient shot possible. A style of play that provides the Rockets players with the tools and the space to get that shot against any team. So now that we have Mori Ball defined, we're going to take a short break. But when we return, we're going to sit down with my friend Michael Castello and discuss some of the finer aspects of the Rocket style of play. And at the end of it, we'll ask ourselves, can this style really work? Drawing It Up has been brought to you by our friends over at Don't Know Radio. Don't Know Radio was just voted as a top 10 up-and-coming podcast of 2020. My very good friend David Vogel and his buddy Kevin have created a place where you can listen and feel better about yourself and what's going on. Everyone acts like they've got it all figured out, but these two guys just tell it like it is. You can find Don't Know Radio wherever you listen to your podcasts, and make sure you follow at DKRadio11 on Twitter and Instagram, and give them a listen. You won't regret it. welcome back to drawing it up i am now joined by michael castello michael thanks for coming on
1: thank you so much for having me man one of my favorite subjects to talk about today
0: yep so what i want to do right now since you're kind of our rockets expert here is we're going to dive a little bit deeper into the intricacies of the rocket system and ask some questions about whether or not this thing can actually work and One of the first things I want to do is address a common misconception and misunderstanding about the Rockets' style of play. Because a lot of the Rockets see a bunch of guys that, you know, less no player in their starting lineup taller than 6'8", and think, well, why can't I just get a bunch of big guys, put my back to the basket, and just destroy them at the rim? What's stopping every team that plays the Rockets from just handing it off to their center and letting them
1: go to work? So the thing with the Rockets, like you talked about, is you would think offensive rebounds are going to kill them, like putbacks automatically. You don't have a big, you have no chance. But the thing with rebounding specifically is that no matter really who you have on the floor, like your guys on defense are closer to the basket than the guys shooting. So even if you have six, eight tops, you're in such a better position to get the rebound than anybody on offense, despite their size. So, like, the Rockets led up a lot of offensive rebounds. Don't get me wrong. They're second to last in rebounding in the entire playoffs behind only the Pacers who only played four games, lost them all. But they were 29th in the regular season after trading Capella. So they lose a lot, but it's not, like, a suddenly disproportionate amount. Like, they would need to lose a lot more for them to be able to exploit it just because of the way basketball works. Like, defense is always going to have such an advantage mm-hmm. and i think another
0: way the rockets address this is that what they lack in size they really have been making up an effort because they're quicker because they're faster than a lot of the big guys that they're playing against you see a lot of guys crashing the boards from the corner and because they're so fast because they can see these balls as they're coming down they're actually getting a lot more rebounds than you would expect from a team this small. And especially yeah. since we're seeing a huge emphasis on transition in today's NBA, that means a lot less guys boxing out, it means a lot more guys at the moment the shot goes up, they're going down to play defense so the Rockets can get those defensive rebounds and even get some offensive rebounds themselves. So rebounding aside, what would you say? Say the Rockets are playing the Jazz like they've played the past couple of years in the playoffs. Why couldn't Rudy
1: Gobert just attack them? Well, that's a good point. Like, and another traditional big that they just beat, Stephen Adams, like is kind of the same thing. Like you mentioned that rebounding is not pure size. Like it's intelligence, reaction time, quickness, positioning, like lower body strength to box out. Like we've seen 6'6 Charles Barkley with a rebounding title, or 6'7 Truck Robinson with a rebounding title. So, like, Rudy Gobert, yeah, he's a beast. Like, he can out-rebound anybody. Like, I'm not trying to say P.J. Tucker's a better rebounder than Rudy Gobert, but the gap isn't as close as you might think. And then also with traditional bigs, like Steven Adams and Rudy Gobert, is they just get played off of the floor because of, like, their defensive ability in general. So, Rudy Gobert in the Jazz got swept by the Rockets last year, lost in 5 another year. They just don't match with them at, up with them at all because Rudy Gobert can't play on the perimeter. He can't guard PJ Tucker or Jeff Green or Robert Covington who are playing the 5 at all and he'll just get cooked. Same with Stephen Adams is even though they're beasting on one end, like they're letting up threes and letting up open shots on the other end because they're just so uncomfortable away from the basket.
0: And I think another area we can point to as to why some of these big guys have such a tough time defending the Rockets is, and you can go into this further, the Rockets have such switchability. So whenever there's a pick and roll, you switch every single time since they're all so close in height, so close in skill set, it doesn't matter as much because they're not concerned about these size mismatches. How would you say the switchability allows the Rockets' defense and
1: to really take a step further well switch everything is like the fulcrum of their defense it's literally why they do what they do and why it works like one thing that is crazy and i'm not sure a lot of people know is that their defense straight up like objectively got better since they traded clink Kl- capella and you think oh you lose your only rim protector your best rebounder all of this like that's what defense is but a couple stats the Rockets' defensive rating went from 15th to 9th since the Capella trade. They led the NBA in blocks in that same span. They were second in steals and second in turnovers forced behind only the Bulls, who are like pretty helpless. <laughs> and they've been the second defense in the NBA playoffs, too. Like, when you're playing good teams every single night, when you're playing teams that are game-planning specifically to beat you, Like, in the regular season, it's a one-off game. Like, somebody might be resting, blah, blah, blah. But when you're game-planning against the Rockets and their defense is still that good, it's personnel and it's switchability, like you said. Like, no team should try to be the Rockets because you can't. Like, there isn't a second P.J. Tucker. So even though centers are kind of on the way out and the game is changing, like you talked about switch everything, has been in vogue for five years. Like, no team should just all be trading their Capellas because the Rockets are so perfectly built to do this. There's no P.J. Tuckers out there to just grab or Robert Covingtons like Jeff Green, James Harden. All these guys have amazing post-defense and lower body strength that lets them play above their size. They're all freaking like, bricks, man. Yeah, <laughs> they're, they, they're thick they boys. Are, they are all perfectly, like, fit into this Rockets roster in this D'Antoni scheme like it's not on accident like Dan House, like they traded Gary Clark he's another perfect example like Dan House would not I don't want to say he'd be bad but he can't find a better of the 29 other situations than he has right now so they're maximizing their players and they're getting players that maximize their scheme mm-hmm. so when Capella was on the team still It went from switch everything to, oh, you can only switch four guys, and Capella was a liability. Putting Covington on the floor for Capella at all times, because Capella's not on the team, opens it up all the way. There's no switch and no mismatch that you can exploit because, to some extent, every Rocket can defend every member of the other team.
0: Absolutely. And I think another thing about their defense that I love is not only is their offense based on these numbers, so is their defense. And they have a defense that I it's almost based in coercion. They want you to take those little post-ups. They want you to take those little mid-range shots because they know that's the lower value shot. They believe that they can beat you with their offensive style of play. While at the same time at the other end of the floor, they're coercing you into please try to post up, you know, PJ Tucker and James Harden Because we know that not only is that going to be a more difficult shot to make than you think. Even if you make the shot, that's the kind of shot we live with. You know, today's basketball it is a lot of like you live with these shots, you die with these shots. You pick what shots you allow the opponent to take because you know how you're going to win. What is going how can your opponent play to your advantage? and the rockets are very good at making their opponents play the way they want to play.
1: Oh yeah, no question. Like Daryl Morey and the Rockets are very familiar with like the math aspect of offense and defense in basketball. Not only can nobody post up anymore, like it's just not a skill that players have or are taught like growing up and developing, but even in the prime of the post, it's one of the least efficient shots in terms of point per possession. If you're a great post-up player, it's not as many points per possession as, like, an average three-point shooter. So they want you to take those shots, and they want you to take those shots again because they have big guys on the floor. And if you've got a big guy on the floor like Rudy Gobert or Steven Adams, we already talked about how they're going to get exploited on defense. And they want you to try and punish the glass too because if you punish the glass, like I just talked about offensive rebounding, you're not going to get so many offensive rebounds – that it's suddenly disproportionate it wins you the game because when you punish the glass all of a sudden the rockets have three on five or four on five on the other end your rim protector the most important defender is the one who didn't get back on the other end and they've got five incredible transition players on the floor at all time like they have two of six players ever to win a scoring title and an assist title in their career It's a fun trivia real quick. The other four are LeBron, Oscar Robertson, Jerry West, and Tiny Archibald. But two of those are on the same team, and they're Mm going to be on the floor all the time, like running and wrecking you in transition. So they're begging you to crash the offensive glass because you're not going to crash it so well that you win the game.
0: Now, turning to some of the Rockets' best players, one thing we've seen, especially with Russell Westbrook this year, is that with the Rockets' star players and James Harden and Russell Westbrook, This offense is really designed to give those two players the space and the tools that they need to operate at their highest level. So what are your thoughts on how has this system really utilized what James Harden and Russell Westbrook are best at
1: for the advantages of the Rockets? So not to say this doesn't benefit Harden because Harden's whole game is Mori ball, Rockets ball, micro ball, whatever you want to call it. But I think this system does a lot more for Russ than it does for Harden. While it helps them both, like, Russ took way more threes before this system happened, and he was playing a lot better than Harden, like, as soon as the trade went down. Because, like, they both isolate all the time. Russ's isolations are kind of like what you see Giannis or Luka doing, or what LeBron did the second time he was in Cleveland, or, like, what Ben Simmons would be doing if Embiid wasn't on the floor. You surround like a great penetrator slash finisher and somebody who's great at passing with four shooters. You let Russ go to the rack, and he's either going to take this iso, which you trust Russ one-on-one to drive to the hole as much as anyone in the league. He might be the best finishing point guard of all time. right? Still, and then I mean, he's got...
0: pound for pound has to be one of the best athletes yeah. in the
1: game. And then he's got four elite shooters to dish to, and there's no rim protector to help when he beats the guy on the other team so right away you're getting rush his best shot all the time and by getting him his best shot you're minimizing him taking bad shots which for him are jumpers and you're giving him an extra guy to pass to like sure Harden can knock it down obviously everybody on the team can knock it down but then you add Covington who might be the best shooter on the team is just an extra guy and like I said there's no rim protector because if you let Clint Capella out on the three sure but his guy's not going to guard him Mm-hmm. So that's just somebody to help in shade, and like double team Russ. So that's gone, and it's basically Russ one on one. Like if Russ was at the playground with almost any perimeter defender, he's getting to the hole like every single time. And to some extent, that's what it is. And another factor that I think is in
0: favor of this five out offense, instead of having a center like Capella in the center uh, of the floor is that when you have a guy like that, that just is a non-threat shooting-wise, and you have these star players in your guards, it's just inviting a freaking double team anytime those players are in iso. Because when you double team those guys, make it tough to pass to the guy to the center that's open, and even if they get that pass through, well, if that guy takes a jump shot, we're fine with that. That's the kind of shot that opponents want the Rockets to take. But when everyone's beyond, beyond the three-point line, that's never a shot you can live with. You can't let P.J. Tucker take that open corner. You can't let Robert Covington take an open three. You all, Everyone's got to stay on their freaking man. And since they've spaced out the defenders so far along the floor, it's just that extra little second... That it takes a defender to get to go help a guy who's just gotten blown past, and that ends up in a basket every single time.
1: Yeah, I said like these guys are some of the best finishers, best ball handlers in the NBA, and then they're also the best passers. Like you want to turn Harden into a facilitator, like great, he's got an assist title. Like he can dribble around any double team, and that's a difference between them and. Say somebody like Giannis, who kind of does the same thing, surrounded by shooters and get to the hole, is these guys can break double teams and they can pass out of double teams as well as anybody, and they're used to doing it. So Russ, like I said, is kind of playing like his MVP year, like post KD, pre Paul George. It's like do it all yourself and like scorch the earth, Rus- scorch the earth, Russell Westbrook. But now he's got a legendary scorer and an MVP as a teammate
0: and I think we've seen a lot of criticism of Russell Westbrook for some of the games he played against OKC and recently but a lot of times when we're criticizing Russell Westbrook that's not the system it's the times when Russell Westbrook is playing outside of the system when he's jacking up a bunch of threes he shouldn't be taking because those are low quality shots for him and when he's taking the contested shots at the rim when he should be passing it back out That's not playing within their system. You always want Russell Westbrook, when he is inside of the system, getting to the rim, dishing it out, using his incredible passing ability, which is really overshadowed sometimes by his athleticism. When he's playing within that system, he's one of the most efficient players in the league. And I think that's what the Rockets need to emphasize to him, is that you're going to need that if you want to win a title. Because it's not about just having the system you need the coaching and the someone to convince these players that if you play this way i promise we can win even when they're down a bunch even when they've missed a bunch of threes
1: just keep on keeping on you know yeah you're exactly right as criticisms of russ should be discreet from criticisms about the system as a whole like if there's anybody calls their own number in basketball like it's russell westbrook he's got maximum faith in his game and you can't blame him like he's an mvp he is like a no question first ballot hall of famer but at the same time like you're right is ad-libbing instead of going for the system is kind of troublesome and that's like what the lakers have been doing to them specifically is like russell westbrook took 12 threes in the first two games against the Lakers, and then he took four last night, and he doesn't hit them. They want Russ to take those shots, and that's one of the few ways to totally beat them is not let them beat themselves, but put them in a position to do the things that they're not comfortable doing. Make them lose faith. They lose faith, and they fall apart. Yeah, exactly. Like Russ has been hurt, so that's the perfect time, even now. He's not at 100%. So I think that plays to the Lakers' favor because, obviously, James Harden has been spectacular in this series, averaging 30-something in seven. His true shooting's almost 70, hitting over half of his shots. He's been spectacular. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it just doesn't happen. And that's the thing with the Rockets is it's all about volume to win the game. Like Their efficiency thing, like the way math tells you to win – is take the most efficient shots all the time, but they just don't fall every night.
0: Yeah,
1: for sure.
0: Now, I want to move on because this offense, obviously, in this system is a lot more than just Russell Westbrook and James Harden. They also have some key role players that have been great for them this year. And one thing, you know, it's kind of an anomaly with the Rockets that you see a lot of players that have struggled in other spots, specifically. I would look to Ben McElmore and Jeff Green, that when they get to Houston, they play in this system, they really take off. They've really become valuable players in the Houston rotation. They really start playing well. And they outperform their you know their stats from their entire careers. And a reason I want your thoughts on this, reason I think that is is because Houston's offense isn't a ton of player movement. It isn't like super complicated. It is basically, you know, for these role guys, let James Harden, Russell Westbrook, Cook, let them do their thing, be in the spots when you need to. Play, they have a very defined role, an easy to understand role, and one that when they're actually playing in the game, they don't have to have a bunch of second thoughts about. Because that's when players struggle, is when they have second thoughts. So, let me... Like, when I play golf, for example, if I'm... If I have, like, a weird shot in, like, the rough, or it's a we You know, it's a tough shot, I'll start thinking about things, like, oh, I need to move my hips this way, my shoulders like this. I duff that shot every single time, because I'm overthinking it. Moral of that story is that I freaking suck at golf. Dear Lord. Uh, (laughs) But... The the analogy here is that because these guys have such a simplified role, they've become a lot better. And, I mean, the Rockets offense, for a casual fan, almost looks like a bunch of guys playing in LA Fitness. A bunch of guys standing around three-point line, and then guys take turns driving to the basket. But Mm -hmm. that simplicity actually helps these role players fulfill their roles.
1: Yeah. You're right that it's not an overly complicated system. Like, it's not like learning an offense as a quarterback or something like that, but it is incredibly specific. So, like, Ben Macklemore was not cast in Houston on accident. Neither was Jeff Green. Like, I talked about this a little bit earlier about how every single player on the Rockets is perfectly suited to play the type of defense that they want to play, which is basically one through five lower body strength. And they have to be able to hit the three. And they also have to be able to handle the ball and make an extra pass. So while Jeff Green and Ben McElmore aren't point guards by any means, they can put the ball on the floor, they can rotate to find the extra guy, and they can punish you if you help off of them. Mm -hmm. So Ben McElmore knows when somebody's closing out, he can take a dribble and either get to the rim uncontested because four guys are really far away, or he can pass to somebody else who got helped off of. Or he can take one dribble, let the guy fly by, and then shoot that three. And then to the complicated part, like, you're right, is dudes like Ben McLemore had a lot going on. Like, he was the seventh pick in Sacramento, and he was like, oh, I got to do this, I got to do that. Like, I have a somewhat undefined role because I'm kind of supposed to be the guy here. Like, the thing with Houston, the beauty with Houston, is it's so structured that nobody really has to ever ad lib. Mm Mm-hmm. Like Ben McElmore is never trying to play above his head or Jeff Green. Like, one thing with the Rockets is they're going to take more threes than any team we've ever seen in history, but they don't take heat checks or bad shots.
0: Now, the flip side of that, what would you think, like, when we, because the Rockets and the three in particular can be a very streaky shot. And in fact, the biggest, oh, yeah, probably the biggest criticism of this system that the Rockets have played the past couple years came in a game six where they had the chance to close out the Warriors and they miss about 26 threes in a row oh
1: yeah Trevor Ariza over 12 I remember that vividly still yeah I mean just an absolute
0: nightmare for every Houston fan
1: now this is where I do
0: kind of lose faith in the system because I do think there is a point to where Yes, I get the three is more valuable, but sometimes you just got to see the freaking ball go through the basket. You need to see that. You need your confidence to go up because when you're just rattling off threes, especially when they're hurried, when they're in transition, they may not be the right shots. And especially in close game scenarios, I'm fine with James Harden. I wish he would take a mid-range when it's, a one-point game or something that wins you yeah. the game so what are your thoughts there that there's a lot of situations especially close games where this system can hurt you because sometimes you just need the shot you can get
1: yeah what i think d'antoni and Mori would answer that question with is just live and die by it baby this is their game they're maximized to do it and it is frustrating like seeing james harden wide open for mid-range instead of pulling it like he'll shoot a contested layup because it's closer to the basket you're right when it's a one-point game like mid-range is closer than three points it's an easier shot because it's like i said closer to the basket but they just don't do it and that can be frustrating like as hell like screaming at the tv like it's an open shot, who cares? But they're so bought into the system at the same time that it's like, wow, these guys are loyal and they know their role so specifically. Mm. For- to the 0-27 point, like, I don't want to say that's like unfathomable or anomalous because like it literally did happen, but that's just the die by it more than the live by it, I guess. They know that they can't beat the Clippers or Lakers playing their game. They don't have the size... They have to maximize their two superstars and make those teams uncomfortable. So one thing that the Lakers are known for is being super big, like JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard, alongside AD almost all the time. But if you play those guys off the floor, suddenly they're uncomfortable. Like we saw the Bucks being uncomfortable with the Heat because the Heat took away their bread and butter the way they like to play the game, and the Bucks lost in five, like could have been swept as the number one overall seed. So, maximizing your two MVPs like is the highest ceiling for this team. So you can ask like what happens when the threes are off and we know the answer, it's a big fat rest in peace. But you can also ask what happens if the shots fall. Four games out of 7, they can literally beat any team. If they get hot 16 times, like that's all it takes, you have the Larry O'Brien trophy forever. So I love that they're betting on high ceiling here. But you're right, Like they could have gotten swept by the Thunder if they happened to be cold for four straight days. So, I don't know, I like the gamble. I think it's fun, I think it's high stakes.
0: Yeah, and I think that's where we end up with this. I think we really end up in that the Rockets have really looked at these numbers and they have decided that this is a gamble and it's a gamble they're willing to take. I mean, Daryl Morey is probably gambling his job over this but they really do believe in this system. And to be fair, I believe in the system too. I believe that with these kind of players, when you maximize your best guys and the people around them, which is what I believe the Rockets are doing, it gives you the best chance to win. So if they wanna win a title, I think this is their best route. And I'm looking forward to see How much of a fight they can put up against the Lakers moving forward and if they potentially beat the Lakers if
1: they can really make a run at this thing I don't want to say the Lakers are the toughest matchup because like the Clippers are just as good as the Lakers and play a super similar style and have great perimeter defense but if they're hot enough to beat the Lakers that he could carry over to the Clippers like I said all you need to do is get hot four times out of seven yeah, a-
0: absolutely, and you know they've put they've put their chips in the middle of the table, and yeah. especially with I always love that the state of the Rockets, their salaries. I mean, you got two guys that in a couple of years are going to be making forty, you know, over forty million, probably taking up over seventy percent of your cap. It's going to be tough to get another guy in there that's worth a lot of money, so. By surrounding these guys with these role players on minimum contracts like Jeff Green, like Ben McElmore, like Austin Rivers, by maximizing Mm -hmm. those guys, you're giving the Rockets the tools to succeed. And I think that's where we have to leave this, is that the Rockets have looked at this time and time again, and they believe this is our best chance to win. Let's see what happens. And some things about this game this is what makes sports so great and beautiful Mm -hmm. is that it some at one point the ball's just up in the air it could come down it could not well with that michael thank you so much for joining us today really enjoyed talking to you you so much for having me yep and that will conclude our show for today So thank you to Kyle Hunter for artwork, thank you to Noah Thompson for sound, and most of all, thank you to you, the listener, for taking your time out of your day to listen to us talk about basketball. Hope you learned something, and until next time, this was Drawing It Up.